Welcome to Savage Starlight, the officially unofficial podcast for The Last of Us on HBO. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And we are here to do our season one wrap-up. Uh, Aaron, how's that, how's that feedback looking? Because oh, feedback's... I, I'm a little worried that I've said everything I want to say about this show. In the We talked for so long in the previous podcast about the finale. Uh, I'm hoping and the listeners the... have something new to bring to the table. And we're not done. We are, you know, we started this Sunday with our Last of Us playthrough. We're doing that on twitch.tv slash baldmove. But if you missed it, you can see the archive right now on youtube.com slash baldmove. Um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, the thing that's the, the was worrying me the most, because I got plenty of feedback, don't, don't you worry, is <laughs> okay. I was trying to find some definitive statements. I was looking for, like, some postmortems, some statements about... From, from Mason or Druckmann, uh, cast and crew, because we know this thing got greenlit for season two almost immediately in this season. Uh, but there's not a lot of great info out there. I found one interview mm-hmm. with Collider where Pedro Pascal mentioned that he thought there's a chance that production could start for season two as early as this spring. Uh, Are they telling him to keep s- his, his window open? I don't know, but like uh, I, I the I looked at the timeline. So season one began filming in 2021, but that was after a full year of uh, pre-production. Mm-hmm. So they got that started in the summer of 2020. Uh, the first episode didn't drop until January 2023. So there's a uh, almost a two year gap between filming starting and the thing being released. Now, maybe they could turn around that even faster. I know that. uh Craig and and Neil had said they'd already begun working on the scripts for season two, but it might be a long gap. Uh, in the independent uh, UK outlet, um, Bella Ramsey uh, said that uh, I guess this was on a Jonathan Ross show, is what she actually said. I was being reported by the independent. She says I think it is going to be a while. I think we'll probably shoot at the end of this year, maybe beginning of the next. So it'll probably be into twenty twenty four, early twenty twenty five. I'm worried that that's probably a better estimate than Pedro's. Uh, yeah, we'll start filming in two months and uh, get this thing turned around by next summer. Uh, sure. These things usually don't go faster than you expect. Yeah, yeah. You'd have to plan for it. Now, maybe in season three they can get it turned around, especially if they do. I think with, I honestly think that the way to go, it's the way to go is to film them both at the same time. Yeah. It feels like it'd save money, it'd save time. The only thing I could possibly think the HBO would drag their feet on is like, what if season two like flops hard, you know? Um, sure. Because this is like, you know, we talked about this is a self-contained story. Uh, clearly, there is one juicy hook to start another one on. But like, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, escort Ellie back to Boston because she turns out she just wants to be a federal officer. Uh <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> after the disillusionment with the fireflies <laughs> like it's you know you, you did this story how are you going to do another one is it going to be as interesting as what what this season is and you know you you finance two seasons and then the second i don't know but I, I i i don't know realistically if i think that's a real threat yeah i do wonder if it's complicated by the the recent takeover uh yeah there at hbo i I'm a, a little worried about that because it seems like all the planning and production and stuff was done before that yeah. happened for season one. And now season two yeah. might be, I don't want to say hamstrung see, by it, but 
an interview with the Hollywood Reporter where the uh, executive of Discovery is like, you know, I don't understand. We can make like 50 seasons of Milf Island to make mm-hmm. three times their money for one season, The Last of Us. Why the hell would I do that? You know? Right. Uh, and then The Last of Us costs $100 million. Like, oh my God, we might... Oh, oof. HBO might be in for some some rough ride. <laughs> and then Craig over on Script Notes uh, podcast is like, "Yeah, they approached yeah. me with a twenty million dollar offer to write Milf Island yeah. season two. The, and I was uh, like, "Nope, nope." The old invisible hand of the marketplace might be grabbing HBO and throttling it. I don't know. Um, I hope not. But yeah, I hope they leave these big, obviously successful shows alone, um, and and get out of their way and yeah. let them just produce them. And don't don't try and like squeeze in on the budget stuff like that i don't think they'll kill the last of us two um in the great in the cradle but i do wonder like if it's anything other than a stellar success if they'll use that as an excuse to pare down or or cancel the the third season um because yeah i i will say i'll I'll go out on a limb and say that if they you only see season one uh, you know season two of the last of us and they don't have season three oh my god (laughs) it's going to be for the people who do love it it's going to be a fiasco because mm-hmm. it's literally going to be ha- it'd be like if uh uh Denny Vill- uh, uh Dune got canceled after the first movie. Yeah. Like what am I going to do with half a movie? What am I what am I what am I going to do with half a movie? Nothing. Nothing. Mm-hmm. So I I I I don't think that's a huge risk. I just think um I, I just wish yeah, I wish Discovery hadn't bought <laughs> Bought yeah. HBO and HBO Max and talking about a whole mess about what the brand of HBO means. Like it's, you know, like HBO is uh, the crown jewel of prestige television. And I hate that there's a company that doesn't seem like they know anything about prestige comp- uh, television fucking with it. So, yeah, I mean, I look, I have a financial incentive wrapped up in this to hope that they get the new season out soon. Um, but I say, sure. let them take their time. Let them do it right. I don't. I'm not looking for a 2024 date if they don't want to hit 2024. Yeah, know? and from HBO's perspective, 20 you know if you just throw out the disco of it all, um, 2024 is already going to be a monster year for them because that's probably right. when House of the Dragons going to come back, and that was already bigger, slightly bigger than The Last of Us, and I think mm-hmm. that's going to be a show that really it might double triple its audience year over year because I'm sure there's a lot of burnt Game of Thrones fans just waiting to hear that oh wow actually House of the Dragon was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, to great and when those people go back and discover it and get all those familiar Game of Thrones tingles I think they're going to be hooked and I, I do firmly believe we'll see you know 20-25 million people watching House of Dragons so like you know I, I even wonder if there's an incentive to push The Last of Us into a whole other fiscal year if it's like well we could we could get the house of the dragon ready by july and then in september or october we'll run the last of us as our you know late fall early winter content like do they want to stuff that much into one year yeah no that's a fair question uh anyway i, I don't we'll know. see uh let's get to the feedback and again uh every sunday night for the next eight weeks now we'll be playing the last of us and we're going to roughly play the events of each episode we got uh ellie just to the edge of boston in the last night's playthrough uh or i, I guess the sunday's playthrough that's going to go down every sunday at 9 p.m eastern on twitch.tv slash bald move had tons of support i was really blown mm-hmm. away by how many people came 
Uh, I got a lot of emails and Twitters from people that thought, you know, they'd never done a, a Let's Play, but it was a lot of fun and it was cool to see the different perspective the game offers on the show. Uh, had hundreds of people show up. So if you want to get in on that good time, it's only we, it's, it's only about an hour and 45 minutes of actual gameplay um, to cover the hour of television. So check it out on YouTube.com slash Bald Move for the archives or Twitch.tv slash Bald Move this Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern for chapter two or uh, season one episode two um all right let's get to the feedback now tlu at baldmove.com i don't intend on opening this feedback up again until next season or getting close to next season but uh, who knows maybe if we get uh, some real philosophical bangers uh we'll do something with them on the uh, uh on the uh, gameplay show but who knows who knows Rusty's up first. He says, I have not played the second game, so please no super spoilers. You're safe with us, Rusty. When Joel swears to Ellie that he's telling the truth about the Fireflies, we know or at least presume that she sees right through him, but kind of swallows the line in the moment. I'm guessing that this will lead to a fractured relationship with Ellie, much less uh, with much less trusting of Joel. How do you think Ellie would have responded if Joel had come clean? She still can't trust him, right? You ever got any thought about like what if Joel just like, you know what, Ellie? They were going to cut your brain open and kill you. And I don't know these people. I don't trust these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made it clear to me that they did not go over this and they did not give me a chance to back out and get your. Pr- and so I just I'm sorry. I did. I did what I did. And I'm not going to apologize for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's always that's always there on the table. Right. He could have done that. Um and I don't necessarily think the outcome wouldn't have been the same for him. Like he, I'm not sure that Ellie would have wanted to go back if that was the case. Cause I, I, I do think it's, <laughs> it's uh, and even if you did just, I just want to be clear, uh, baby girl that I, I murdered every doctor and nurse in that hospital. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Flambe. No real going back. Um, but yeah, would, would she, have been okay with being killed being a sacrifice uh for the greater good i i think it's borderline because every time she talks about it she's like talking about the after of it too like yeah we'll go to the moon or we'll go to the ranch or whatever uh after we get this done so she doesn't expect that they're going to kill her so i think that might have changed her calculations a little bit uh but we'll never know we'll never know and that's the thing that's so like disappointing about joel's decision i guess is that she's never given that opportunity to decide for herself yeah and it, it's tough because you gotta as a parent kind of prepare you know sometimes you'd have to take a stand against your children's uh you know, your teenagers stated desires to do something because you know teenagers sometimes don't have the best uh um well i mean yeah their brains are still not finished cooking but like a lot of people, all you know, when the, the from the parents' perspective, they only see like, well, here's the obvious downside of letting a teenager do what they want to do, and here's the upside of stopping them. You know, you're keeping them safe, keeping protected. But I don't feel like a lot of parents give a lot of thought to like the the consequences of thwarting a thinking, intelligent human being uh, with their life's ambition. Um, and like I said, some of the stuff is kid stuff. Some of the stuff is you know probably should be taken a little bit more seriously. But like it just seems like parents don't ever consider the downside of like, well, what happens if I just crush this person's dreams or spirit or what happens if they find out that they're not special or what happens if, you know, I, 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 it's, it's, it's tough to say. It's tough to say. I do think that like, 
boy. I do think there's a lot of daylight between me and Joel and how you handle that situation. I don't think the right thing to do is to lie to her, especially. <laughs> but on, on the other hand, like maybe you could say it's like such a transparent, obvious lie that it's an it's a construct that allows them to work something out in an organized way. So it's kind of like, you know, um, try, trying to keep the Santa Claus lie going with an older child. Like you can try as much as you want, but like how fucking far can you? You know, can are you going to get a 32 year old that's going to still honestly believe in Santa Claus? What profound damage to their worldview would you have to inflict to keep that from happening? To keep that happening? <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, uh, yeah, no, it makes sense. I'm, hmm, I'm just trying to help, figure out how I feel about it, like ethically, right. Because I, I don't know. I mean, I think what Joel does here is is poor, poor ethics. It's uh, it's it's not good. Yeah, for it's her. Murky. It's not yeah. good for the world. It's yeah. So like condoning it, understanding it is one thing. Condoning it is another. And I feel like I'm, I'm understanding of it, but I, yeah, I, I can't get I can't get on board with his decision there, for a lot of reasons. Evan says, bravo on another successful season of podcasting. I have a question about your thoughts on the co your coverage of the show. I think this is the most you've ever listened to commentary from a show creator, or at least the most you've mentioned the commentary the creators had in your podcast. Why did you guys do that? How did it impact your viewing of the show, if at all? And would you do it for, say, season two of House of the Dragon? So we did this a lot for Breaking Bad um, because they released a podcast alongside every episode of, of that show. Uh, same with Better Call Saul. And that was a pretty comprehensive thing as well. Um, I think it helps, but yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think about it? My observation is I always do this. Like, I listen to the Foundation official. I listen to mm -hmm. the Watchmen official. I listen to the House of Dragon official. Like, if there's an official podcast at all, I do try to, with rare exception, I try to listen to it. Uh, and I usually do. And I don't mm -hmm. think you ever do. Or like, no, more a lot of the often time than not. Oh, you do? Okay, because mm -hmm. I, I got the impression that you did not listen to them near, nearly with the frequency that I did, and that, like, it could just be a simple matter of, like, you know, if I bring up two points from a podcast, or I average two to three points a podcast, Jim brings an average two to three points of a podcast, if you weren't doing that, then it would seem suddenly uh, that you, you know, there's twice as much mention of the official podcast, e even though there's really nothing changed. But, like, if you've been down the whole time, then, yeah, I'm not sure. Um I think there's something you've touched on earlier in the season that Neil and Craig are pretty directive in making statements like, like canon statements about how people mm -hmm. should feel and characters motivation. That's a little unusual in a creator podcast. They're a lot more, the ones that I usually listen to are a lot more kind of like sit back and, you know, they'll speculate and all, but, but they leave it. These guys felt like they were in a room with uh, Joel from the last of us and they just talked about the series without any kind of outside reference or and and that was kind of neat and refreshing but it did lead to a lot of like definitive statements that we had to either agree with or disagree with right yeah and it's almost impossible to disagree with a creator who is telling you the intent of a scene um 
Especially when he's already being interrogated by two fans of the product Mm -hmm. who at this point like are intimately aware of it. You've got the voice of Joel. You got uh, a a TV director who said he loves the game and played through it a bunch of times. And like, you know, you already have a lot of perspectives coming to that. Yeah, they didn't leave a lot of stones unturned uh, in the show. And I found that limiting in our conversations a lot because there wasn't there wasn't that avenue for personal interpretation so much. Instead of you and I teasing out what the meaning is, it's just like, well, you know, Neil and Craig said this, and do we agree or disagree with it? Yeah. No, yeah. it was almost refreshing on the episodes where they spent like 35 minutes talking about one scene, and then we're like, oh, shit, we got to get through the rest of this, because right. that left those oh, shit scenes for us to really speculate on. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I also very much enjoyed that podcast. It wasn't like it killed my enjoyment of our podcast. I, I really yeah. enjoyed doing both, but like, yeah, I, I, I can't go in there and say, well, here's what I felt in this scene. Unless I am just willing to say it's, it's not what was intended, but this is how I took it. See, I'm really willing to do that. I do mu- very much believe in the whole death of the author theory of critique and that like the author can say, well, oh, sure. He or yeah. she, or they meant about any kind of work that they want to do, but mm-hmm. like the work is also out there, sands their commentary, sands their thoughts on it, and I can judge for myself what made it onto the screen. I think that's like, I, I think it's annoying when people come up yeah. and be like, well, that's wrong because the creator said this. Well, fuck me. I, you know. No, ultimately, um, the, I, the creator's vision doesn't matter if it doesn't make it on screen. I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah, and yeah, there yeah. are times when that was true, but there are, more often than not far more often than not sure, sure. Uh, it made it on screen because they're very good at telling stories um yeah the the, the other thing about it is like i'm I, i'm willing to say like yeah i on first watch through i felt this way but a lot of the times what happens is i watch it i don't have a strong opinion on a particular scene and then they go spend 10 minutes talking about it and i'm influenced by their intention mm-hmm. in the scene and so mm-hmm. my opinion ends up unintentionally aligning with theirs because I didn't have a strong opinion on it before. So it's hard to kind of separate those two things. Um, But I, I try to do it as much as possible. What I tried to just, this is a question about a process more than anything. So like what I always tried to do, and I think only one episode I wasn't able to do this on. um, I always try to, you know, obviously I watch it for the instant take live like everybody else. Uh, and then I watch it again and I take my notes and um, I put all my own independent thoughts. And after yeah. that, I then begin looking at feedback. I listen to the official podcast and I go on the Reddit and look. And that way I always have a reference for like how I felt about something. Yep. And if I feel it being overwritten by you know Neil and Craig, at least I can note that. That like, you know, I actually kind of thought from this, but then they said this and that pointed out that and actually made a lot of sense. And uh-huh. I don't know. Uh, but they, the thing is, they're also just really good storytellers um, right. in every sense <laughs> right. of the word. So like them telling the story of making The Last of Us was entertaining unto itself. And they just are so insightful about the process and mm-hmm. how to do it that it's yeah, it's it's a great companion piece. Um, and also, they don't always agree as du- dual creators. Right. They sometimes have slightly different interpretations of a scene and they'll talk about that. So. Yeah, I, I I think there's still room in there to to have your own opinions and and thoughts on a scene, but also really enjoy the opinions that they're bringing to it. Yeah, 
And, and that even Troy Baker sometimes have a third viewpoint that would blow both Neil and Craig totally. away. So, yeah, it's great. If you haven't listened to it, it's it's another good uh, after a- episode watching. If you're still hungry for more Tilu, now's the time to endure and survive. We'll be back with more Savage Starlight. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Just so we're clear about back there, it was either us or the ad. Welcome back to more Savage Starlight. John Wisconsin said, I've listened to your take about Ellie's reaction to Joel's story about what happened at the hospital and generally agree with it. But what if we look at, at it through a different lens? The whole trip is because Ellie is special and contains the secret to save humanity. Remember, she thought she could magically impart immunity by rubbing her blood in Sam's wounds. Now she wakes up in the back of a car and Joel tells her that it turns out she wasn't special. There are dozens of people with immunity and a scientist couldn't even make it work. Now what is she? She's nothing special. Her world won't be changing. That could really mess with anyone's head, especially a teenager. Um, I think this does, you know, I don't think this is all of it, but this is a lot of her general demeanor kind of like almost a fugue state going through the motions uh post hospital in the last of us Mm -hmm. you know like her finding out the truth about what went on the hospital is maybe only half of like did you actually go and murder all those people to save me and also like am i not special it, 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 you know like like if it's one thing if it turns out i am special and you killed everybody to save me but you're saying, like, is it all true, 100% true? Like, I think it, it puts extra emphasis on that because she obviously, is, yeah, she doesn't like Joel just going around randomly murdering people on her behalf. But also, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, 
Yeah, she did think she was kind of special. Um, breaking the news, you know, even if it's untrue, uh, even if it's a lie, breaking the news to her that she's not special has to change her view of herself. And like Joel's doing, like, it's so funny that to protect her, he's essentially kind of putting her down. Right, right. You know, telling <laughs> telling a kid, you know, like in, in most contexts, telling your teenage per- child that you, you're not special, you mm-hmm. know, is kind of shitty, you know. Sure, sure. <laughs> you want them to learn that for themselves through the experience of life, right? Yeah, right. I mean, we know the brutal <laughs> truth of those words, but it should uh-huh. be coming from your mom or dad who kind of love you, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we all suck. We're all pieces of shit. Why <laughs> Why does anyone do anything for us? But, but that's, mm-hmm. you know, parents are the one place where you should get that unlimited esteem and validation. That and therapists. Um. Zoe says this series like the video game that inspired it has evoked such profound emotion Joel and Ellie especially but also the enhanced portrayals of Bill Frank Kathleen Henry Sam not since the leftovers have I contemplated more deeply the concept of love and what people do in the name of it such a beautiful and inspirational emotion that we find ourselves grateful to find but the feelings behind that joyous emotion can equally plummet the mind to such dark places that we never recognize in ourselves we lie betray ourselves and others manipulate even kill to hold on to it Yet those desperate actions change us and forever alter the thing those actions were meant to protect. The most delicious food for thought. All concepts I have expected to explore in a... Uh, I never expected to explore in a video game, rather. Kudos to Druckmann and Mason. Yeah, we, we we got so caught up in the morality that we didn't, I don't think, talk much about the core concept of love and how we previously throughout the seasons uh, talk about how that's a good thing. But in, you know, going back to the official pod, something that they definitely brought in episode nine was the downsides of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the, I, the links that people are willing to go to preserve that thing that they love is is limitless in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, too, that like we're when we're talking about these lies, betrayals, manipulations uh, to hold on to it, like that implies that it's already gone. Like the thing that was special, uh, the thing that made us feel seen and loved and appreciated is already changed. And you're just trying to prevent the knowledge of that change from perpetrating to the other person. Right. You know, like it's so it's like you can't, you know, uh, the, 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 the toast can't never be bread again. Uh, that love might not be over, but it's going to have to necessarily transform and grow with the concept of you're capable of this behavior or this thought or this image of me that you don't want me to find out. Uh, but it's like delaying the inevitable. And like uh, Zoe points out here, it's like almost all those attempts to delay just intensify and further break down and a corrosive yeah. to that love that we feel you're, you're creating a fragility in that love too because now there's information there's there's something that could come out that could break that bond yeah uh, and you've put that there you know you didn't have to um yeah but you were afraid of losing love and yeah uh i, I don't know man it's it's a rich complex story it's it's why i think like this rightfully will be considered the best video game adaptation so far like to date period um and i think it's well deserved because and it's maybe this is one of the few video games you even could do that with because it's such yeah, a rich that's complex why I was about story to say. It's in like the I, game 
they they need to write better video games, uh, which I think is uh-huh. something that, that they should do anyway. And I think there are people that there are people working on it. But but yeah, like there aren't a lot of games in the running. Like I think there'd be severe problems of adapt adapting a Half Life. They'd have to fundamentally change it to make it work as a narrative. Maybe sure. got the the newer God of Wars. Yep, that's where my head went. Because again, they like just having a dynamic of or like um that co-op game. Uh, what was the one where we played the two criminals that escape from jail? Uh, oh, a way out. A way anything that has Boy. a dynamic where you as the player are interacting with a third party that has you go on a mo- like that's so much easier to adapt than the silent protagonists to just have people come up and bark things at them before they're dead. You know, uh-huh. uh, yeah. for get ripped apart by an alien or a monster or machine gun fire. It's like, you know, that's what the God of War has because it's it's uh, Kratos and his son. It's what an, a way out has. It's what, you know, like those things, I think, are inherently easier to modify or easier to and easier to turn into a narrative because they are more of a narrative, a traditional narrative. And there's, yeah, not, I mean, a most, lot of, there's not a lot of those games. Uh, yeah, m- most narratives and games are action engines, right? They're just there yes. to get you to the next gameplay stage. Um, the Last of Us was the other way around, and that's why yeah. it's working so well in the adaptation. Yeah, it's it's good thing. Like almost every video game is at its core an action movie, mm-hmm. and like think of like the thin plots of Commando, you know. Uh, <laughs> Sure. That it's just just smart enough to get you to the next thing that blows up without killing too many brain cells. And think mm-hmm. about like in Commando, if they didn't have the airline stewardess as his companion, like so, just take out the interaction uh, yeah. that you had, and it's like it's just it's just so hard. I think that's it's, it's not necessarily that video game stories are weak. You know, they're essentially as sophisticated as your average '80s '90s action film. Uh, <laughs> but it's just they 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 just don't lend themselves to adaptations, you know. Like poetry doesn't either, right? You know, it's like oh, here's a movie yeah. based on the uh, <laughs> the the famous Kipling or Frost poem. It's like that almost never happens, and it's just be- mm-hmm. it's not because poems suck or lack satisfying narrative or emotional structure. It's just what the fuck do you do with them? Yeah. I, I think another candidate potentially, well, if they hadn't really shit the bed with Andromeda, would be Mass Effect. Uh, that has a story that Ooh, maybe I could see. Yes, yes. Yeah, adapting really well. Yeah, but we'll yeah, see. and again, because get you got a crew, right? Sure. Yeah, you're not you're not soloing it. Anything that has a solo protagonist that has less than a hundred lines of dialogue is going to be a rough adaptation, and that's <laughs> for ninety five percent of all video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach says, "I cried in the opening sequence of the finale, and here's why: Ashley Johnson did such an amazing job portraying Ellie's mom, especially at showing how much she appreciated things like toughness, resolve, and a fighting spirit." It was brought to tears by that sequence because it made it so clear that Anna would have been such an amazing mom to Ellie. I was left feeling that Ellie would have loved her mom, uh, who saw the good and redeeming in all of the flaws or character traits that Ellie ended up struggling with so much in her life. The tragedy that Ellie would never get to be comforted or reassured by this woman who would have so uniquely understood her was incredibly powerful for me as someone who struggles with parents who I feel don't always understand me. Obviously, I'm sugarcoating the reality. Surely the fact that they were such similar people would have created a typical or typical familial strife between the mother-daughter combo. But the gift of a parent who is so prepared to at least understand why their child acts out is rare. 
Ellie's denied not only that, but had it traded for one of the harder lives that someone could have had, even in an apocalypse, constantly feeling like a misfit. I was just destroyed by the thought that Anna and Ellie could have been two of the most compatible life partners the other could have asked for, and they got neither. It wasn't just Ellie never met her mom, it's just Ellie was denied a sense of true self that only feeling like your parents' kid ever can, and it probably would have made her an incredible leader. Uh... There's certainly a lot of looking at the glass half full of the parental totally. relationships because you, what if I told you that Anna was a fundamental Christian pre-apocalypse and just hated gay people, just fucking <laughs> thought they were the worst. Mm-hmm. In fact, maybe thought that part of the part of the fungus apocalypse is, you know, just uh, Sodom and Gomorrah type shit, right? Uh-huh. Punishment uh, for our yeah. evil ways. Yeah. That that can that can that can really interfere with the flow of parental love and acceptance or any kind of issue like that. And you know, I've I've said it before in podcasts. I as a, as a parent myself, the thing I struggle with the most is um, flaws and even sometimes uh, positive qualities that my son has that are exactly like me. Because it's like infuriating to try to fight a mirror match against yourself. Right? That's the ultimate boss in a lot of video games is like to fight mm-hmm. a per, you know a, a character of roughly your own skills and strengths and experiences um so it's yeah I, I i don't know but it is sad that that they never that that yeah the ellie i think every child regardless of how it works out in life every child's birthright is their parents unconditional love and it always sucks when they don't get it sure yeah and seeing how how much love was there in those initial moments of Ellie's life um, makes it even worse. But yeah, yeah. Who, who's to say how it would have turned out, but it certainly was a nice moment. Yeah. Tracy from New Jersey says there's been a lot of discussion about whether the fireflies are right or whether Joel is right. Should one girl be sacrificed to save humanity? The picture the show paints of the world suggests that humanity just simply isn't worth saving. Joel and Tess tell uh, both tell Ellie that we aren't good people. We're shown Fedra as a militarized horror zones. Uh, Kansas City, we see the militia overthrow Fedra, and we're just as bad, if not worse. On the road, Joel tells Ellie there are worse things than infected, and we later meet David. The Fireflies are a militarized group bombing Fedra and willing to kill the child for maybe a cure. Outside of Jackson, we haven't seen a single group worth saving. Maybe Joel saves Ellie because she's worth saving, but humanity isn't? Man, what do you think of that? Uh... I think it's a mischaracterization of the fireflies, but okay. Um, I know you'll object to that. How is it a mischaracterization <laughs> of fireflies? Uh, the facts are true, but I don't think that you can lump them in with cannibalistic, uh, evil people. Um, okay. Well, I'll, I'll, let's let's take let's take David's bunch out of it, and I think it's hard for me to see much beyond muddy grays when I'm evaluating the morality of Fedra versus Fireflies. Yeah, no. um, Okay. That's fair. I I think, like, the the reason I don't, I'm not willing to blame the Fireflies is, A, they're working toward a better future. B, uh, they are using the tactics of their oppressors against their oppressors. I don't think that's fair to say, to condemn them for that. Yeah. I agree. I agree with your second point. I think that um, the methods are kind of beside the point. I don't know about the because like just because someone says they're working for a better future does not mean they are like that's literally every 
tyrannical institution that's ever been is like sure, they don't sure. say but i've seen the actions right like they, they're not killing this girl to just for fun like they have a plan they have an idea of, of oh i'm talking more of their bombing food depots and things in quarantine zones oh. to, you know things thing, things like that like um you know, in, in recruiting child soldiers, et cetera. Although Fedra is doing that as well. I'm, and again, I'm not saying that Fireflies are worse than Fedra. I'm just saying that it's hard mm-hmm. for me to say that they are categorically better in any uh, in any one area. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. They're they're not like super different. Um, they're just opposed to each other. Uh, the uh, humanity worth saving. Yeah. I guess that's the thing. It says like, what is humanity? I think humanity is a very malleable concept. Uh, I think humans, uh, through evolutionary pressures, are hard-coded to gentle in times uh, and be more open to cooperation and sharing in times of good and plenty and to be selfish and look inward and be reactionary and isolationist and tribal when things get pinched and hard. And you can't Mm -hmm. get much more pinched and hard than a complete societal collapse leading to deaths of 99% of other humans. Um one of the reasons I support continuing to like, you know, I guess be socially progressive and in, in terms of not just, um, you know, how we feel about gay and trans people and immigrants and things like that, but also in economic policies is because I feel like we will reap untold benefits by continually to gentle the human society. And the only way we do that is if every one of us has enough to at least uh, live our lives and raise a family. Uh, mm-hmm. So like if you can like maybe not in the next this lifetime but if you in three four generations you could you know even with a greatly reduced human population have that to where you know you can see it already starting to work in jacksonville um places like jacksonville get together and form collective unions and trade alliances and like become like the old greek city states i is, is that humanity worth saving um i don't know like humanity is such a blank fucking canvas i feel like yeah it's hard for I, me i mean to- there, there are definitely like counterexamples, like you said, Jackson. Um, I think Bill and Frank are a counterexample. Um, it, is all of humanity worth saving? I would say fuck no. Uh, and the people who aren't worth saving need to get the fuck out. I don't know, go to the moon or something. Um, yeah. The people who are worth saving is the one are the ones we're fighting for, and I think it's a worthy cause. I, I think. And that's why I'm looking at the Fireflies saying, well, they're better than every other group we've seen because they're fighting for something like that, right? They're fighting for the continued existence of humanity. Yeah, I, I will say that's maybe an advantage the Fireflies have is they are they haven't given up, you know? Uh-huh. They haven't given up to where Fedra, it seems like they have tr- really given up trying to make things. All they're, uh, they're obsessed with trying to hold on to the things that they have. And they're and losing have them. no vision like, uh, for yes, yes. That's the thing. Sp- like the QZs are falling. We hear of like three different QZs that have fallen. Things aren't getting Big better. Ones, yeah. They're getting worse. Yeah. The fireflies are trying to fix that, and I. So I give them a lot of latitude, whether whether they want to kill this girl or not. I like. Sometimes you have to make sacrifices. Yeah, and it's you know that's what the, the title of the game, The Last of Us, refers to. You know, these are the dying embers of humanity, and do you want to scrape them together and try to rekindle them, or is it like you know what, fuck it, let's let's see if the octopus fare better in two hundred billion years. <laughs> sure, sure. Maybe it's time to give the octopi a try. Uh, 
<laughs> us apes have not gotten the job done. Yeah. Uh, Donna says, I completely agree with what you've been saying about Marlene making completely ridiculous mistakes, not immediately shooting Joel in the head, only having two guards escorting him to a highway, telling him that Ellie didn't know about the surgery and she felt no fear. In fact, all the decisions were so nonsensical to me that I actually thought in the moment that Marlene was essentially giving Joel the breakdown of the situation, letting him go with the full knowledge that she he was going to save Ellie because she promised Anna she would protect Ellie. My understanding was she didn't have the ability to do it on her own, so she's giving Joel everything he needed to go through with it. She even had a tear coming down her face after they escorted Joel out of the room, which I took as her knowing exactly what was about to happen. However, obviously, this was all squashed by the end of the episode when she tries to stop Joel for the final time. I was so confused when she showed up and could not believe how idiotic it was for her and the Fireflies to handle the situation so poorly. Yes, fuck them Fireflies. I would have found it interesting if a twist if Marlene did enable Joel to go through with it in the end, even if it meant that she herself died in the attempt. I can see people thinking that up until the final scene, that like Marlene was in on it. Yeah. It's an inside job. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, when they're talking about like when Joel says he's the only one who knows, you know how how it feels uh, to to sacrifice Ellie and and Marlene says don't tell me about that I already know, you know, I I know. Uh, you could see yeah maybe she was trying to get Joel into a position to do something about it, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it becomes pretty evident that she's not by the end. Uh, Sindra from Norway said, I want to say I get where you're coming from with your hatred toward the Fireflies. I felt the same way when I played the game for the first time, but I have since changed my view. This isn't some puzzle box story where we're supposed to piece together that actually the Fireflies aren't capable of creating a vaccine. Fireflies believe they can create a vaccine. Marlene thinks they can create a vaccine. They even tell us a way in which Ellie is immune and how they will use that to create a vaccine. The story is telling us that the vaccine is a very real possibility. Yes, the situation with rushing Ellie to the operating table is kind of contrived, but it's necessary for the rest of the inning to work and can be explained by them running out of power soon. It's also obviously morally questionable, but they can rationalize to sacrifice one girl to save the world in a desperate post-apocalyptic society. What good would it be to ask her permission if they have to kill her either way? Joel isn't a medical mastermind who knows better than the scientists who spent years studying the cordyceps and a potential vaccine. He doesn't ask Marlene how sure they are of a vaccine. He tells her to find someone else to sacrifice for it. Joel doesn't care if there's a 5% chance for a vaccine or a 95% chance. He just can't lose his daughter again. I think that's what makes the, interest, the ending so interesting. Is Joel's surrogate daughter worth potentially dooming the world? Uh, would your child's life be? If the ending is just 100% righteous Joel killing, as you put it, the crazy evil Nazi scientist, there's not much moral debate to be had. And if Joel could rationalize his decision, he wouldn't have to lie to Ellie either. Now, would I do the same to save my daughter? Sure. Is Joel morally wrong to choose his daughter of the world? Also, yes. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is the way I see it, they could have told a story where it's proven to Joel and the, at least the, the game player's satisfaction that a cure is 100% possible, you know. Um, and then Joel's just a monster. There's really no debate, you know. Mm. Or they could have told a story where an apocalypse, because you're saying, like, Joel doesn't have this, Joel doesn't have that. He doesn't know better than these scientists. I, did you get a look at this guy's medal de de degree? Were you able to check his college transcripts? 
Like, he's had 20 years and failure after failure. How many monkeys has he killed? How many people has he experimented on? You don't, like, it's one thing to walk into a doctor's office and, and trust them with a diagnosis of cancer, you know, because they got a degree on the wall. They got a, a, they, a license to practice medicine. There's all these trappings of society that's blessed this expert. But even then, in our fully functional society, if a, if a doctor says, you got six months to live, Aaron, you're going to die, I would probably get a second and maybe a third opinion before <laughs> I decided what course of treatment to take. Like, mm-hmm. it's, and it's before frustrating. Before you drained your bank account and went on, yeah, trips Right, right. Um, and I just, I just don't, like, I, I have sympathy for Druckmann in that you have to create a situation where you can't put your thumb on any one scale or then the whole moral... <laughs> Uh, the whole moral question you're trying to explore here evaporates like dew on the grass at dawn. But I was a little disappointed that with 12 more years to think, or no, wait, 10 more years to think about it, that they didn't really improve the setting from, yeah, I mean, again, the game is trying to tell me that this is to be trusted. And maybe this is a another example of like, I'm ignoring what the game is telling me because I've already subsumed mm-hmm. my th- point of view to Joel's and there's no way I'm going to let them kill my daughter. Maybe. I just think they did a really poor job of contriving the situation to get the moral dilemma that they wanted. So I think I understand, you know what you're saying there, but I think the emailer is, is pointing to exactly what I'm trying to get at with yes. all this discussion about the mycologist. Um, everybody's coming back to like oh you know the the mycologist is an expert and you should just take her at face value that is exactly my point the people who are telling me that are making my point for me the show is telling me that this particular scientist uh that when they tell me something about science through this scientist or the firefly scientist uh doctor or whatever it's real it's true the -hmm. show doesn't ever cast doubt on that the show never intentionally cast doubt if you, if there is doubt about the firefly's ability to create a vaccine it is all brought by the viewer it is not intended and is not in the story and that's my point is like they're they're telling us the scientists here are to be trusted when they say bomb the cities they need to fucking bomb the cities when they say we have a vaccine or the potential to create a vaccine we have a potential to create a vaccine so yeah. that's where I come down. Like, I, I don't I say, yes, oh, sure. Maybe in some other version of this, they write a story where, like, you see the guy's uh, diploma cracked on the floor because you need to know that he's like an actual doctor. And you see them over the course of nine episodes doing experiments on monkeys and humans and all kinds of things. The The show didn't do that. The show has has told us that these people have ideas about how to create a vaccine and in order to do that they need to kill ellie and that mm. is that is where i leave it i i don't i don't try and make up some story about a crackpot doctor who doesn't have enough power to do the procedure and he knows he's he's on the edge of science and and has no idea what he's doing i just take it at face value for what they said so, so i come I down there's... on the side of the fireflies so i think there's a the difference I see here is when the show tells me that this world's form, you know, the, the nation, uh, the chart, Jakarta's foremost mycologist is saying that it can't be done. There is things going to bolster that, like the fact that 
she didn't step forward and you know like out of the chaos and say i'm the world's leading mycologist and i say it's all fuck we should just die the legitimate government of a nation sought her out because of her reputation as being the foremost mycologist and brought Mm -hmm. her back and she has the full weight of all of the science of the world behind her and she could have access to state-of-the-art laboratories and whatever she wants she has everything and she's saying with all that knowledge and i have no reason to doubt her because again it's like you know this isn't like uh uh, the the guy in stargate who's like you know she's not like a a rogue mycologist who says that uh, there's a vaccine like this is the you know that's the also the point of the I feel like that's a point of the previous conversation that they showed in the cold open of the whole series is that like, you know, 20, 30 years ago, scientists said it's impossible to make a vaccine for something like this. And now in the present day with all the, and then you go to a, just a doctor uh, at some ramshackle hospital with a minimal staff saying he thinks he's got a theory. And the, the only answer is to cut Ellie's brain in four hours. Like, I think that's a fundamentally different situation than the Jakarta scientist. Now, I think they could have told that story that like Marlene mm-hmm. could have been like, mm-hmm. look, Joel, this doctor is was the head of the mycology department in the CDC and the Firefly's whole purpose in the last 20 years is to safeguard this guy because he's the last of the, the great mycologists we got. And he has been working on this theory of efficacy of this vaccine. And he's got hundreds of taste test studies and he's shown in a lab that if you could just. If he, if he could, you know, you know, there's a lot of things they could have told me, but like they didn't do that. And I guess, yeah, as yeah. a dad, my mind goes wild to try to find all the exceptions. But sure, so you bring your own, you bring your own uh, right. feelings on the matter to it. And, but and I also I think that. that it's, I also think it's a little, maybe they, they're like, well, The Last of Us is so great, we can't tinker with the ending because that's the thing that everyone says is great about it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I, to me, it's like Neil especially has seen 10 years of people reacting to this thing. And like, I do wish he had shorted it up a little bit, a little bit, because, mm-hmm. yeah. Otherwise, it's just yeah. Like, if you either you either buy what the story is telling you about this guy's credentials and whatnot, and you put yourself in Joel, and you're like, okay, fuck it, whatever. Uh, and then you can start arguing about like, well, should the Fireflies have given Ellie consent and all this other stuff? But like. Uh, the, the reason I go there is because that's the story they're telling. They're not telling you a story of a dubious scenario where maybe like these crackpot Nazi well, scientists could figure something out if they chop Ellie's brains. They're saying we have a solution if we chop Ellie's brain. And Joel is saying, are, fuck that's that. Not, okay, so you're saying that that's the, game's the whole point, point of, of the ending. Yes. You're saying the game's point of view is I disagree because I did not get that from the game and I played it twice. So we're okay. like, you, you I... want to believe the creator. And I'm saying that, like, <laughs> I see the evidence in front of my eyes and I'll evaluate mm-hmm. myself. Uh, 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 and the thing is, is, here's the thing. Neil Druckmann intended this to be a, like, ethical debate of the ages. And I sure. think if I buy what you're telling me, it's not a debate. It's it's a ludicrous debate. Like, uh, Ellie versus 100,000 people. 100,000 people. Ellie versus a million people. You have to get down to Ellie versus, like, I don't know, a couple hundred people before the trolley problem even becomes relevant. Well, it depends on and who's. So who's then Neil fucked up either the trolley. Way. No, the, no, the whole thing is it depends on who's in front of the trolley, or I guess who's like watching with their hand on the trolley switch. Is it the father of, of the daughter who's about to be hit by the trolley, or yeah. is it some unknown stranger, right? Like, that's. 
that's well, that the hasn't crux anything to do it. with the ethical moral dilemma. It's like I understand why Joel would throw to switch, even knowing that this was the CDC twenty year protected super secret Firefly mission, mm-hmm. and he's a hundred percent like that. I understand why Joel would do it, but like Joel still is a fucking human. Uh, he committed crimes against humanity. Like uh-huh. full stop. There's no there's no wiggle room there. So it's like I feel like. I don't know. Maybe Neil's too close to the problem the other way uh, because mm. I just, again, if, if everything you, you, like, I think that's a frustration of, of, of people on, you know, team not fuck fireflies is like, if everything you say is true, then the people who are on team fuck fireflies are just a bunch of willful, emotional monsters. And I, I like I said, I, I don't know. I, I, again, they could have worked harder to tell that, but I don't, I, and I think Neil, I don't know. Did Neil want it to be a trolley problem? It's like, what if a dad's hands on a switch? I don't think that's super interesting either. But then I go back to like, <laughs> this is just the best video game plot. And the best video game plot still is kind of tr- contrived and hackneyed, which, okay, fine. That's, that's, that can be the case. It just, I don't know. It's never felt satisfying to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, hmm. I don't know. And I, like I, I said, I, it, I take it you, at face value. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's this is the core degree, disagreement, the one that's mm-hmm. really the and it's and it's not that interesting. It's like, do you believe the the events as and it's like it's not the game's perspective in universe. It's the scientist in this one settings opinion, one scientist, one doctor in this setting. And, uh, you know, like I also think it's like I've, I've always thought this privately, but like I have had literally dozens of medical professionals and even a couple bioethicists. Uh, and I've read articles with I've never seen a single one say what the fireflies are proposing here seems any kind of like ethical like thing that you should do. You know, like that's it just boggles all their minds. And it's like. I don't know. Maybe Neil and Craig could have gotten a bioethicist and sat him down for a week and be like, well, how could we construct this where it truly is morally neutral? And then you'd have it. But I I don't know. Like I said, they didn't do it. So we got what we got. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I'm right. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that, like, it's I I bristle when they say the game's perspective, because what the fuck does that even mean? Like, are we just saying Neil's perspective? Let's just go ask Neil. Neil, what do you think? Okay, we got our answer. That's 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 that seems kind of horseshit to me. I mean, it's 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 based on the details that the game chooses to give you, and it never chooses to give you a detail that own, says okay, you should. I'm getting doubt pissed. The I'm actually feel myself getting pissed because like you keep on saying that, but you're ignoring all the things I'm saying. The game throws in that cast doubt on the fact that this science, this this doctor does have the solution. What does it throw in to cast doubt on that? The fact there's been 20 years of, of effort and it's been futile. The fact that, that this They've is a They've never had a sample like that. Ellie. I haven't... That, they, they, they have an immediate knowledge of what they need to do here. They've and their first been studying thing to it. do is to cut the brain Look, open and I, kill her. I, so here's where we agree. Okay, I think, so that's what... I right. think both of these scientists are idiots. I think the the I think it's bad science on both parts. Now, like when I'm talking about the mycologist in the beginning and I'm talking about the, the firefly doctor here... I think both of those are bad science in normal circumstances, but they've had 20 sure. years to research this thing. They now have the sample that they need to work on the theories that they've already got going and they're acting on that. I don't know. I, I like the game. Here's, here's my thing. The game does not tell you that they have just come up with this theory in six hours of examining Ellie. 
The game doesn't tell you that, right? The game mm-hmm. tells you they've got an idea on exactly how a, a vaccine could be created and they're working on that plan and that plan involves killing Ellie. That's all the information we really have. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. And this Everything is the last is question. Then we, we can move on from here. I just want because like, yeah, I, 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 I don't really I don't really want to get into a heated bioethic match in the middle of a podcast. But I just want to ask one more clarifying question. <laughs> OK. Yeah. Why do you not take the world's foremost mycologist at her word that the thing is doomed? But you do take a doctor who you have not had vouched by anyone that Ellie's curious sure thing is it just like you just tend to think the science is optimistic and and it's just wrong for the scientists to give up or because like the, the well, game slash the sh- or is it that the show is telling you that and the game didn't so you see this as a do you know do you know what i'm saying it seems like no, you no, are so, so i'm i'm here's why i say they're both bad science because the doctors neither doctor even tries right like that that's the thing like the doctor in the beginning, the mycologist in the beginning does not say, you know, we've never actually had an outbreak like this. It's never crossed over to humans in this way and started infecting people. I'm going to get in the lab and I'm going to try and figure this out. Uh, she just throws her hands up, says bomb the cities. And maybe that's the right call. Uh, the the Firefly doctor at the end is, is doing the same type of bad science, right? They've never had a, a sample like Ellie. We're just going to cut into her and not do any further examinations uh that's bad science as well now in the context of the show i believe them both right like when i'm arguing against the mycologist in the beginning i'm arguing because i think that's bad science i think she's a quitter i think like i would want my scientists to be stronger and more perseverant than that um I, I'm not arguing against like what the show is telling me. The show is telling me this is an expert in the field and she is right about bombing the cities. She, we do not have a solution for this. And one is not likely to be found in the time frame that we would need it. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's a, a distinction there. It's, the it's what the show is telling me versus how I feel about the yeah. real world. Okay. Well, like I said, I'll let you, I'll let you have the last word on it and uh, we can move on to the la- the next email. Watch out for that fungus be right back with more savage starlight we found something to fight for this podcast welcome back to savage starlight uh kelly says i love the podcast and the finale of the show and really enjoyed all the speculation and dissection of the choices made while you were talking about the intro though i surprised at all the focus on the bite uh to explain ellie's immunity one of the things we repeatedly see throughout the season is close-ups and focus on Ellie's knife. I think we see a cameo from it in every episode, though I'd have to double-check that. I think it's for a reason. Anna cuts the cord of the knife after killing the infected with it, so some fluid, blood, or something is on it when she makes the cut. The placenta would still be pushing blood through the cord to the baby at that point. I think this is far more plausible than the idea that something made it through the placental barrier and to the baby in the amount of time presented and explains the sharp focus on the knife. Mm. Um, I've never seen anyone talk about this and it's cause like I, you know, that's one of the things like, oh, how the hell does it get through the placenta? You know, all the things this kind of neatly sidesteps it because you're already past placenta. You're essentially part of the child's circulatory system. She cuts it with the dirt, a tainted knife. Is that even more tragic that like 
she she literally just bit it like a fucking zebra mom on the uh-huh. Serengeti. It would have been a more hygienic, better. Well, I don't know. She's already got this cordyceps of her. <laughs> yeah, her system too. Let's say uh, if she had ripped it, if she had just grabbed it and pulled it, it apart, rip yeah. it, give it a savage ripping. Uh, uh, that would have preserved Ellie. But but I mean, ultimately, it's not tragic, right? Because Ellie is immune. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. It could, this is this is a pretty this is a plaza, you know, like I said, um, it seems that you're supposed to understand that the the mushroom itself had a mutation inside Ellie. But like if you want to say that the knife is the through a plus administered through the placenta, that there's some kind of thing there. Like I that does that's another plausible mechanism. I will say that mm-hmm. like I, I don't know, like a I want to say that like this doesn't matter because like going forward that there we're not going to really talk about this stuff, but they did enough changes in season one and addressed enough of the science that they didn't in the game that I'm not so sure. It might be that they go and they try to like dot some of these I's and cross some of these T's. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll uh, see. You might be onto something with the knife theory here, uh, Kelly. Cohen says, I'm currently on the fuck them fireflies train, but I have a slightly different take on it. I think most people disagree with the fireflies in the last episode, but I think they've been the bad guys all along. When you take a step back, you can start to see it. What exactly do fireflies do? What I've seen, they sow chaos and unrest and make Fedra's job 10 times harder than it needs to be. They seem like a very childish group that complains that Fedra isn't perfect in a fucking apocalypse, but instead of coming up with solutions, they undermine Fedra by destabilizing regions. From what we know, most QZs are not perfect, but of of course, but they are livable. The Fireflies are a bunch of fanatical dickheads, in my opinion. Maybe if they worked with Fedra, the world could improve, but nope, they build homemade explosives and bomb food stores and city blocks. Even though I doubt this is what the show is going for, I wonder if the reason Marlene needs Ellie operated on so quickly is because they're losing a war against Fedra and having a cure might reduce support for Fedra. Doesn't seem like the cure would be all that effective, as we know it can't reverse clickers or runners' biology. My guess is the Fireflies want it as a propaganda weapon. I don't know if I agree with the characterization of the Fireflies. Again, fuck them Fireflies, but that's <laughs> confined to the hospital shit. Um, I'm coming. I'm, I'm running into the Expanse problem where mm-hmm. if you, you turn the moral kaleidoscope enough, you can get to a situation where on the Expanse, like the Belters are the terrorists and they're war criminals right. and they're just trying to tear down the things about society that are great. But boy, yeah. that's a very tough way to twist a moral ca- a kaleidoscope. Yeah. That feels like propaganda to me. Um, yeah. That that feels like oppressor propaganda you know like it, oh it, they it, should just literally. work within the system right do it the yeah. do it the right way do your revolution the right way people right 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 do it the way we and want you to do it that's what that feels there, like and there is an element of truth right like we wouldn't Certainly, want the first political things. disagreement you have to like everyone grab their ammo boxes and fucking <laughs> rock and roll right you want right, right. like a rule of law and a way to just but like yeah, I, I find it like everyone that go and, you know, I'm not trying to pick on you, Cohen. I don't know your background. I don't know if you've seen The Expanse. I don't know if you've, you know, like what your how old you are, your life experience or whatever. But in, I invariably, anytime someone uh, tries to dismiss another group as being immature or childish or just not knowing what the world, uh, how the world works, I get a little skeptical of that worldview because... Mm. You know, have you ever tried to live for a couple weeks without clean water? 
that can mm-hmm. really radicalize you. That can make you seem childish about waiting for access to water, right? That can make you throw a bit of a fucking societal temper tantrum because mm-hmm. that's not, it's not a temper tantrum to demand access to something you need to live. And yeah. it seems that at least in some QZs, the Fedra is playing with that. They are definitely playing with access to stuff, playing games with access to things that people making people desperate, keeping people desperate. Maybe some of that's by design. Maybe that a lot of stuff isn't by design. It's just shit that happens mm-hmm. as the consequences of policies that seem fair and just at the time that you, you know, uh, you, 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 you put them in place. Right. So. Sure. Sure. I don't know. That's so. That's half of it. Fireflies are dickheads. They're not. I, I don't know. What do you think about? I, I. I will say that like I do think if the fireflies did get a vaccine, it would be used as a cudgel to beat people that don't agree with their ideology. You know, they would use that as they wouldn't. You know, again, I, I think the way to do it would be to announce over terrestrial radio the science of it and let everybody make their own vaccine. Right, give it away, mm-hmm. and what happens yeah. happens. I doubt the fireflies do that. Yeah. I have a hard time. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think long-term that's, that's their best play is to give this away because right now the stranglehold that Fedra has is this incredibly dangerous world, right? If it, if yeah. the world becomes less dangerous, people start wanting to go back to the way things were before and they see a hope there right they see the light that the fireflies are talking about that's that's powerful that changes people's opinions on fedra so if they're smart they do give it away they give it away to everybody i don't yeah. know how smart they are Can I, ask you, I, I just <laughs> had something how, crystallized like, in my mind because I, I, like all this like you know i i about the spores you know because we played the game the other night and we right away got a spore section with our masks on we're like okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I okay. I think I'm ready to say definitively that not including spores in the game is a fuck up, because you only not you not you do not ask the question about the efficacy of a cure in a video game, because you can just randomly walk into the wrong room and it's got spores at maybe even concentrations you can't see, and now you're going to be infected and you don't even fucking know. Mm-hmm. It's not that oh god I got bit. I get a bullet in my head. It's like I got a whiff of some spores and that and 24 hours later, I'm just going to turn into an insane rot, rage zombie and no one will have any. And like, especially yeah. and I'm like, well, you can't put Pedro's face in a mask, even though they do it for three seasons of Mandalorian. They can't. <laughs> I was sympathetic to that mm-hmm. until I saw how little fucking infected there were. Like, I'm talking like yeah. you might have had had to have Pedro in a mask for 10 minutes of 10 hours. And yeah. no one would be asking the efficacy of the vaccine. I, I do think that not doing the spores is kind of a fuck up. And not and then I didn't think that I wouldn't say that in episode three. But now that I've seen the relative lack of threat of the infected, I think it was kind of a mess up not to throw the spores in there. Yeah, um, I, I think you're right. I think there's like this is not a perfect show, but the, what it's, flaws it does have, you it's easy yeah. to forgive because of how well it does the things it does right. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I'm not like saying fuck uh, Neil and Craig. I'm just saying that like <laughs> in, in the fullness of time, I think if I were to do make one change, uh, well, if I were to make two changes, I would I would steel man the Firefly's position in the hospital uh, as much as possible. And I would probably go with the spores, especially since the vine was like a one time thing that felt like almost like a episode gimmick. 
And again, in the world where spores exist, no one asks. Because again, you could beat this fucking thing. You could kill every infected in the world. And it can all be undone by a single group that goes into a warehouse to try to find food or supplies. You know, Mm -hmm. you go down the wrong mine shaft. You go into the wrong abandoned building. And it's just like, and you, you won't even know it until it's already running like wildfire through your society again. So like. Yeah, I do think that feels like a a little bit of an error, in my opinion. Dave from Florida. Hey, guys, not to rain on anyone's draft parade, but how on earth are they living in Utah? I looked it up, and apparently giraffes are extremely sensitive to temperatures and cannot survive long when temperatures drop below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Assuming we're 20 years out Mm. of the apocalypse, this makes absolutely no sense. Unless all those brown spots in a giraffe are actually cordyceps colonies that generate fungal (laughs) heating pads. Your thoughts? Oh yeah, those antenna coming up from its head. Yeah, those are spores for sure. Those are those that's fungus. No earth creature has a head like that or no. a, a, you know, it's not natural. Um I don't know the giraffes naturally migrate and you know to follow like drought seasons and stuff like that, but I think the simple answer is these giraffes could probably survive just by walking south when it gets cold. And if if they migrate yeah. at all on the on the the Serengeti or the the, the savanna then because, like, otherwise, if they you could do. get rid of the, the 50-degree temperature, like, you know, the the plains have a lot in common with that region of Africa. They're big grasslands, right? It's just those mm-hmm. grasslands never get colder than 70 degrees. So I wonder if they could just, just walk closer to Mexico. Uh, and then when it gets warm again, you know, and the, the, the green grass comes back, they walk they walk north. Yeah, I mean, it it's... Hmm. I'm not sure how the timing works out there. Maybe maybe they're in the process of migrating because like it's getting pretty cold uh, at the time that Joel and Ellie are there. So I thought it's springtime. So they would be like, are this the first giraffes back? Because they're pretty far away from Salt Lake City when they're like like ski resort. I guess it's warming up, but like, hmm. Yeah, I don't remember how long it took and... them. Do they yeah. even say how long it took them to go from uh, Colorado I to? I don't know. I know that they they Utah. definitely say that in the video game, and I'm curious to see like you know like because like David definitely happens in the winter, and I felt uh-huh. like uh-huh. the Salt Lake City stuff is spring, but I could be wrong. Join us on the video game playthrough and find out with us. Uh, Casey from Pittsburgh says, I had some additional thoughts on why Joel kept bringing up Sarah. We talked about his odd fixation of finding similarities with her in the final minutes minutes of the of the finale. When Joel is carrying Ellie the same way he carried Sarah in episode one, he's looking at her thinking, I'm not going to feel you this time. I'm going to save you, Sarah. I mean, Ellie, I got you, baby girl. I can protect you this time. This sparks the compare the compare. I don't know why I'm doing the Joel from the video game impersonation because I don't have a good Pedro. Not that sure. I have a good Joel, but I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, he's mentally turning Ellie not into a new daughter, but Sarah 2.0. While Joel is talking, you see Ellie piecing things together and her eyes widening. I almost expected her to stop in her tracks and yell, Stop! I'm not her. I'm Sarah. What really happened back there? Uh, I didn't get this from Joel looking down at Sarah, but like, or I'm sorry, Ellie. Um, I think it's a valid interpretation, though. Yeah, I mean, he wants her to be Sarah, right? He wishes that she was Sarah, I think, but this will do. He sees redeeming her and saving her as kind of like stepping. Like, I I think this is 100% right, Mm -hmm. that he sees saving Ellie as like 
a, a makeup, a redo, a do over for his failure of Sarah and all the failures yeah, that have totally. gone since then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shum, you'll remember, wrote us early on with some skepticism about the video game being able to surpass the show. He says, after the first episode, I sent some feedback contending I didn't believe it was possible for The Last of Us to be a better experience than the video game, owing largely to how much more you bond with these characters as you play them. I have to admit there are moments in the show where I begin to waver in my convictions, particularly after episode three with Bill and Frank and episode five with Henry and Sam. The Bill and Frank episode is a testament to the strengths of television as a storytelling medium, and the Henry and Sam episode is an example of how much the video game material could be elevated by smart adaptive choices. The deaths of Henry and Sam in the HBO show managed to affect me more than the same moment in the video game, and that shocked me. However, as the season concluded, I noticed some of the limitations of the TV show format that I hadn't considered before. One reason the story beats in The Last of Us are so rewarding is you have to earn them by getting through gameplay segments. And often the best or most climactic story moments came after a particularly difficult, grueling section of the game. These segments also serve to increase the bond between Ellie and Joel as they protect each other and experience a shared trauma that comes with fighting through these sections of the game. I'm not saying that the big story moments in HBO series weren't earned. They're obviously still extremely well done. But when I think back to how I felt playing the David sequence in a video game... Um, I feel like I really earned that moment and it's not just something the HBO series could ever hope to replicate. Ultimately, I've come to see it not being a competition. Even the show didn't manage to do the impossible and overtake the video game. It provided so many beautiful moments in the shared universe that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Even if some of the big climactic moments fell flat for me, I'll always treasure the way Ashley Johnson as Ellie's mom looks at her after uniquely traumatizing birthing process or Pedro's incredible delivery of it wasn't time that did it as he gives Ellie a similar look. There's so much to like in both the HBO series and the video game. I'm glad I have both in my life. And I think that's a great way to end the non-super spore lore coverage. Something I totally can agree with because I, I think... It's tough. You have to evaluate. Did you play the video game first? Did you see the series first? You know, are you mm-hmm. are you good at video games? Because if you're not, that's a hurdle to enjoying. It's like trying to enjoy a book, not being able to read. Um, do you get the same by watching someone play as you do playing it yourself? But ultimately, I like that when I play through the Billtown episode and I find the corpse of Frank, that I now know what could have been if Bill could have been a little bit could could have could have could have what am I trying to say here, Jim? Could have given in his his bullshit a little bit. Could have been more flexible. Sure, sure. Um, like he is in the show. Yeah, yeah. I like that the rebels are more humanized. You know, the 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 the, the crazy fanatics that you meet in certain ways. Like you know that we've got the Kathleen episode to kind of humanize them. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like that. I I like that. I have all that stuff to kind of keep in mind as I'm playing the game. And, you know, I, I think that, like, I'm with Shum here. I think the show did some things better. I think the game did some things better. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, I, I'm glad I am glad I have them both in my canon library. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, for me, so so I totally agree with you. Like, they're, they're different. They're in some ways distinct. Um, I, I noticed myself feeling the story beats more in the show than the game. And I think this comes down to just personal uh, engagement with like video games versus TV. For me, I don't go into a video game perhaps because it's before the last of us never been worth my time to, I don't go into it thinking, man, this story beat is really powerful. 
Um, and maybe it's partially because the mechanics get in the way of that for me. I'm thinking about other things. Whereas when I sit down to watch a television show, I'm thinking about the story that they're telling exclusively. That That's it. Um, and I think I'm also harder in a lot of ways on television stories. I don't know that in the video game, if they had not done the Spore thing, if they had done you know, the underground network of, of, uh, mycelium or whatever that I would have even cared because I would have not, A, I would not have had anything to compare it to, but B, I just wouldn't have been looking for those things. I wouldn't have been picking apart the story in such detail because that's what I do with television. I sit yeah. down and I think, how is this affecting me? What is the intention of the show is it telling that story how effectively is it doing so all these things are running through my head but when you put mechanics in front of me and i'm expected to shoot things and run around and move through this story myself i start to lose that and and that could yeah. just be a me thing i'm sure there are plenty of people who feel it more deeply because of that but that's I not never how thought i interact of this, with it but this rings true to me too that like i am so podcast slash critic brain now that i find it very hard to enjoy medium as a civilian like just to like turn my brain off and not think of takes and right. even when i'm watching something i know i'm never going to do a podcast on it's like mm -hmm. that inner voice of like oh i see what they're doing with the, and the themes of the can oh i'm like oh fuck just <laughs> shut up where video games like i can just play and i don't think of like oh this is a hackneyed story plot i mean if something's really dumb you know i've gotten a little bit more sophisticated in you sure. know yeah. like pac-man doesn't cut it just eating <laughs> eating uh -huh. dots and power pills and chopping ghosts what the fuck why am i doing this what agency does pac-man have why am i in this laser prison what like you don't care about any of that shit right it's all the gameplay but as games stories right. are being more sophisticated but for whatever reason you put a controller in my hand it's like a pacifier in a baby's mouth i'm not thinking about mm -hmm. the fucking mm -hmm. hero's journey i'm just you know because maybe it's just, just more visceral yeah, and for some people, that, that might do it for him, right? That might be the thing that really kicks that story into high gear for him. Yeah. But not for me. I'm the opposite. So and I saw, like, playing the game on Sunday night, there was, like, three different cases where, like, I got genuinely scared I was going to die, and I started running, just running around going, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. I never did that <laughs> watching the series because sure. it's just fundamentally more visceral. Someone got a gun up your ass or as a clicker got their hands around your throat than watching mm -hmm. somebody. So... Yeah, I think but I said, I, but uh, I also lose sight of why I'm doing the thing in those moments of panic, true. right? Like I'm not thinking about, oh, I'm doing this to save Ellie. I'm doing this to get right. through, get to you know some important milestone. I'm just thinking about, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck. Right, right, yeah. Uh, all right, well, this is it for our coverage of The Last of Us One. We are going to do some spore lore in the super spore lore section. This is exclusively for stuff in The Last of Us Two. So if you've not played the new game. Uh, you want to get out of here now because we're going to be talking about casting. We're going to be talking about uh, ways the story could be structured. We're going to be doing big spoilers, and you do not want a part of this. I promise you. Uh, so we will see you next week. I actually hope you see us Sunday night uh, on our Last of Us playthrough. Again, Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash baldmove. We're going to be playing that over the next eight weeks. The first week is already on youtube.com slash baldmove if you want to check it out. Uh, it's pretty fun. Had a good time recording it. Uh, but yeah, this is it. We will be back next year. Well, whenever, I guess late 2024, <laughs> early 2025 of Bella's right. Mm -hmm. Um, but also this is not the only thing that we do here at bald move. We just started coverage of the, La the yellow jackets, which I think a lot of last of us people would enjoy. Uh, it's on showtime. 
we are doing Star Trek Picard. We're doing Star Wars Mandalorian. Uh, we're looking forward to doing Severance, a great uh, uh, Apple T. Wait, no. Is it Apple? <laughs> yeah, it's Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, really excited about Foundation hopefully coming back later this year. It's another great science fiction show that we do. If you want to get all of our science fiction, spaceship, zombie type stuff, check out Bald Move Pulp. If you want to get... Uh, if if you want to get all of our more prestige type of stuff, including Yellow Jackets, uh, check out Bald Move Prestige or look up the show names or any of that stuff. But yeah, we're we're do stuff year round. And again, if you'd like to support us, uh, we sure would appreciate it at support.baldmove.com. I think that's it. Uh, if we don't see you until next time, then uh, endure and survive. I guess let's get to the super spore lore section. Now, when we go to the ad, make every shot count. We'll be back with more of Savage Starlight. We're not the cure for mankind, but we have your favorite podcast. Here's more of Savage Starlight. All right, we're in a super spoiler. Lore. Chip says, did your feelings about Joel wiping out the fireflies and the doctor, which turns out to be Abby's dad, change at all in part two? This is a really good question mm. because I'm trying to think if I played The Last of Us right before. When did The Last of Us 2 come out? Because I just saw that, like, from Twitter, I beat The Last of Us remastered in, like, August of 2020. So I think I played mm-hmm. The Last of Us Part 2 and then went back and played The Last of Us because I wasn't done playing The Last of Us. That implies, and since I stored up all of my my flamethrower canisters to kill the fight, that implies that it didn't change my my opinion on Abby's dad. Um, I can't mm-hmm. remember. Like, I, he seemed like a nice enough guy. Um... <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, is I don't have to agree that the Abby's dad had a good cure and um, and was a, had a surefire way to save all of humanity. Um, I just have to believe that Abby loved her dad and she felt that way to make mm-hmm. the revenge cycle engine work. Right. Sure. So, yeah. like, I do have a definite change. But, like, the thing is, is, like, even then it's like that's got caveats because... If Joel doesn't kill her dad, the fi- all the fire, the full might of the fireflies come down on Joel. And whether he's in Jacksonville, I mean, I don't know, maybe they hole up in Jacksonville and they're able to fight him off. But I figured that the full might of the fireflies could probably trounce Jackson. I assume. Yeah. And that would be asking a lot for a, for a, an entire society to go on a wartime economy to defend someone that's a relatively stranger outside. So, like... Boy, yeah. it's one of those things where do I where do I go back in the chain of cause that was was Joel the asshole for starting it? Was Abby's dad the asshole for bungling the way he handled it? Was Abby the asshole for going and seeking a limited form of revenge? Was Ellie the asshole for then to go uh, seek more revenge? Uh, you know, I guess my my big takeaway from The Last of Us Two is. Someone should stop. Someone has to (laughs) not respond to a provocation for peace to be secured. Mm -hmm. And it's my opinion that the stronger, more powerful side should be the one to do that in almost every case. Mm -hmm. Um, Other than that, I don't I don't know what other takeaway I got from that game. Yeah, uh, I don't remember it that well. I'm going to have to play it again. So I can't really say, but I, I largely agree with that position on 
yeah, the the power imbalance and what it takes to end a chain of uh, revenge and and yeah. punches back. Because that's the thing. It's like any like uh, if anyone ever asked me like, oh gosh, what should we do with Israel and Palestine? What should we do with Protestants and Catholics? What should we do with Hutsu versus Tutsi? I, my response forevermore is going to be play through The Last of Us Part Two and then watch all of The Expanse. If uh-huh. you still have questions about how I feel about it, we can talk then. But other than that, like you, we don't even have the same frame of reference to even begin a conversation because so many people just want to determine who's right and who's wrong as if you can, right. you know, peel back something that's been going on for generations or sometimes hundreds of years, thousands of years and be like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, well, if those people had not had done the correct thing. None of this would ever happen. Like, okay who who like we're I, I see people punching each other in the face who's the one that's able to most absorb the blow the next one they should just take it and walk away there mm-hmm. um but i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm naive and childish too <laughs> elliot says what are your thoughts on ian alexander reprising their role as lev in season two slash three some people think they're too old or sound too different but can they sound the way they did back then i'm not so sure Maybe they can make them a little younger with makeup. So I looked up. I didn't know anything about the voice cast beyond the principals in uh, The Last of Us Season 2. Lev, of course, I don't I don't want to necessarily bring a big spoiler. But if you played the game, you know what vital role they play in, in Abby's development. Um, they're only 21 today. And they're playing a 13-year-old. And they're five foot one, And they look pretty young to me. Mm-hmm. And I just saw Bella Ramsey play a flawless 14-year-old at 20. I thought that worked out pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I don't know how they can handle the physicality of the role and how much they can hide with CG and stunt pre- people and whatnot. But, like, I guess in principle I wouldn't. It, it doesn't seem to be something that The Last of Us is doing with the notable exception of Marlene. But, like, yeah, I guess I don't. I don't have a problem i guess i prefer actually if the voice talent from the original could reprise the roles yeah why not if they're a good actor bring them in how do yeah yeah and i think there's it's a difference being a good voice actor and a good like overall actor Um, totally but like but those skills are crossover pretty well i think so i think so the more i've seen of you know uh, the the behind the scenes of the video games and like what Troy looks like and the mocap rig and what he I I I think that yeah yeah and what Ashley Johnson has been doing yeah she's great yeah a hundred percent so I I yeah that's that's my preference but like if they go that direction I don't even like just Ian Alexander I, they are still working because I saw that they were in Discovery and a, a Star Trek Discovery and a couple other things I haven't mm-hmm. seen but um, yeah try them out. David from New Jersey says, I heard you mention that Killing of Pedro should be at least, or the the latest episode two of The Last of Us season two. But knowing now that it'll be longer than one season, I think Pedro can make it even as far as the season finale of season two. I trust they have no idea how to pull it off. Or wait, I trust they have an idea of how to pull it off. <laughs> it changes the sentence a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My thinking is that it would be a mistake to try to reproduce all the reveals and twists in the same manner as the game. Last of Us Part 2 had a lot going on, but as a video game, the action had to start quick. It was brilliant how the story unfolded, but that's not practical, especially now that we see what they did on the show. This might work. We see how Ellie's doing a Jackson, all those cutscenes, Ellie learning guitar, all our personal stuff, Joel and Ellie to the museum, Ellie and Tommy with a sniper rifle going to get the guitar through the hotel and finding the runaways, 
going to the museum, then Ellie going to Salt Lake, all interspersed with Abby dealing with the fallout of the death of her father and basically having the journey Joel had in season one. If you get to like all of them, as I did some of them in the game, Ellie going after them with such ferocity in the third season when you know them would be gut-wrenching television. Toward the end of the season, Abby making her way towards Jackson. Will she succeed in her mission? That crazy opening scene of the game becomes our season finale. Sarah fights in Seattle is season three. You lose the holy shit surprise, but the scene also turned off a lot of people. Might work better like this. I had a yeah, visceral just, dislike of this approach. What do you think, Jim? Me too. I, it loses it loses that emotion you're supposed to feel of, I hate this character. I don't want to spend time with them. And then th- eventually that going away, right? Like that's, that to me is the game. But you have to make f- people feel discomfort. You don't want to lessen that. You want to heighten that. Like I, I think if you're Craig, you come into this going, okay, what was good about number two? What was it really about? It was about learning. It was about understanding how your actions affect the other side of, of the issue. And you need to feel discomfort. And I think Craig's going to lean into that. Yeah, like it's the whole point, you know, like there's this classic science fiction movie, Enemy Mine with Lewis Gossett Jr. and and Dennis Quaid. And it's like, you know, the whole point is like these enemy sides on uh, alien war crash land on a planet and they hate each other. They're both calling each other slurs. You know, they don't trust each other. They're trying to kill each other. And when no one comes to rescue them and they're on this dead world, they have to kind of force to live together and survive. And first it's just by convenience and then or necessity and then it's convenience and then they start exchanging language and culture and lo and behold, they so like, you know, like that's what we do with Abby and The Last of Us. We're enemy mind. We're like, you know, if you want to keep playing this fucking game that you paid 60 bucks for, you're going to have to make peace with this woman. Mm -hmm. Uh and you have to either that or you just, you just rage quit. And, you know, I guess it'd be Dennis Quaid version of blowing his brains out with his phaser. Right. Like, I'm just I'm just not sure. going to spend one more minute with this goddamn iguana. <laughs> Blow his head off. Um, so, like, I, I do. And I also like all this, like, d- just because you're trying to put off this moment of, like, fucking up with the museum sequences. Like, those are time to be where they are for maximum emotional effect and that is like one of the few times i've wept playing a video game is that the culmination of that museum sequence and like yeah i i think people are really overly worried about the thing happening that's the point of the whole thing like oh people are going to hate abby and not want to continue yes we all did we all Mm -hmm. fucking did Mm -hmm. but that's what made the game so special is that just having to do that no choice like the game doesn't give you a fucking second to collect your thoughts before you're in this other pov yeah and i think if if you expect them to change something or moderate that a little bit in the show you're going to be disappointed i I think they're going to lean into it because they know that's the whole point i don't know if people are freaking out about oh pedro pascal gonna be in one episode pedro pascal is going to be all throughout the second at least the second season and he will certainly show up Mm -hmm. for probably the first episode and last episode of season three so, like, you're going to get Pedro um, and more character development between him and Ellie, but you're going to get, like, as the story progresses and you're ready for it, you're going to get the twists and turns of all the things, you know. Like, I think it's such great tension that, like, you come in The Last of Us 2 and all the questions that we had at the end of The Last of Us are still on the fucking table. And they're mm-hmm. just now coming to a head and you're like, 
because it kind of ends and starts with the bummer that Ellie is not talking to, yeah, to uh, to Joel, and that's not fun to play through either. As you're kind of like you, you realize like, oh God, they're on the outs. We're not even speaking to Joel at this point. Uh, and you're like, how the fuck did that happen? And they tell you mm-hmm. as you progress. So if they're doing their jobs, you should like Ellie and Dina just as much as you liked Ellie and Joel. Yeah. And By I, the I don't time even know that that becomes a, a real concern losing Pedro, you know? Yeah. I don't even know. Like when it says it turned off a lot of people, I don't even know how true that is. Uh, how many people beat the last of us to percentage? Cause like, we know this. Okay, here we go. 60%, roughly 60% of the people that bought the last of us Two completed it, finished it to the very end. Um, now that, that sounds pretty low, but that's actually shockingly high for a AAA title. How does that compare you know? to The Last of Us? Um, ooh, that's a good question. Because that might be the an Last indication of, of how pissed off people were about the Switch. Uh, of POV. So I see. So there, I, I don't see that number, but I'm also seeing Game Rant said that the God of War had 53.3%. Final Fantasy VII Remake had 51.8%. So hmm. like... No so one is saying high. God of War fucking turned people off the storytelling. No one's saying the Final mm-hmm. Fantasy story turned people off. And like The Last of Us 2 had a higher completion rate. So Horizon Zero Dawn, fantastic game, 34.5%. Bloodborne, <laughs> I'm one of the <laughs> oh, 70 God. or I'm one of the 68%, but 31% of people finished that. Red Dead Redemption, 28.6%. The Witcher 3. 26%. So I reject that The Last of Us is uniquely heinous in its storytelling. I think the majority of the people that played it in good faith had the same experience that me, Jim, and everybody had. And you had a couple people that were still fucking salty about Ellie being a lesbian and, you know, Joel getting killed in the first, like, yeah, fine, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but like, it did all right. It did better than average in terms of people finishing it. So I'm nice. going to I, I'm I'm going to lean on that even harder now that I know that the data supports it. Um Andrew wants to pitch a potential structure for episode, season two, episode one of the show. Um Unlike the game, I think season two should open the first episode with Abby and her crew traveling to Jackson. I don't think they should make it explicit at all in the dialogue what Abby's mission is or where they're going. Keep it really vague and just tell an interesting side story. Think about the opening season of uh, of or opening episode of season two of The Leftovers, where we get introduced to a new family straight away without even mention of where Kevin and Nora are. You tell a convincing story with the episode. Viewers should just chalk it up to being a world-building bottle episode. Around 15 minutes, and we know that we'll do this with the Frank and Bill. So they've kind of Mm -hmm. like, I I like where this is going. With around 15 minutes left in the episode, I think Abby should wander off alone and get attacked by infected as she does in the game. Then, bam, Joel and Tommy swing in and save the day. Viewers will see it as a cool connection point back to the core cast and wouldn't suspect much. What follows is largely similar to the game. I think Abby turns on Joel when they get back to her camp, and only then, with a minute or so left in the episode, does Bella Ramsey show up on screen for the first time, barreling through the door in an unsuccessful attempt to save Joel. I think then the writers can flash back through some of the last interactions between Joel and Ellie. Okay, so it goes pretty much the same. I fucking love this idea. In fact, I think that's what they should do. First episode is just Abby with her group on some kind of mission. They seemingly by accident find Joel and Tommy, and we think that's really cool. 
The only thing I would do is I would save Joel's. I would have Joel and Tommy dead to right with with Abby intending to kill them. Then season episode two is just Ellie going through Jacksonville and doing all the Ellie stuff and finding out that Joel has been out there and he's not been back for a long time with Tommy and her deciding to go out to check. And at the end of the episode, you get uh, two, you get Joel's death. And then pretty much the rest of the game plays out. I think that would work really well. I definitely and it see that working. Shocked the shit out of people because the first episode would would most people be like, oh, this is a Bill and Frank. These are probably going to be more protagonists. We're going to be we're going to see how a group joins a Jacksonville group, and oh, here we go, and 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 they're, they're fighting side by side with Joel and Tommy, and then yeah, then then when you get to like the cliffhanger and you see the Ellie's on the case the next episode, everyone's going to think that like, of course Ellie's going to get there in time and save the day. Yeah, well, hmm, hmm. That seems pretty tasty. It's not bad. It might, it might make you resent the show for tricking you like that, and I think that's good. I think you, you want to, like you want to make game. people pissed off, right? Do because I, I went in spoiler free to Last of Us Two. I was fucking blown away that they killed Joel. Oh like, yeah, I me was too. like. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, I was back to Ned Stark season one of Game of Thrones, where I just, like, I was fucking mind-blown the day. That's such a ballsy thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, what I say, like, it might make you resent the show is, like, you've spent time with these people now thinking, oh, they must be, you know, protagonists and, and generally good people, and then they do something that you view as heinous. You kind of want to piss people off with that, right? Is that not what the video game does? Because I, I feel like the, the, uh, there there is a little bit of like remember. these are just lost people and they need to they they need help and whatnot and I I, I said I I vaguely remember that too but yeah it's possible uh, um, but but I mean if it does do with it that then yeah that's part of why it's so effective because you want you want to resent the the way that they're telling this story right you you want right. to you want to resent these characters as much as possible so that you can then come to understand them later. So, yeah, right. well, I can see it. Uh, good job, Andrew. I think uh, you've you've potentially cracked the code because I can think once you get going, I think, uh, you know, because people are going to be super fucking invested in the rest of season two is Ellie and Dina and trying to get revenge. And then the climax of season two could essentially be the, you know, like they don't even have to do the switch over like Ellie's just fucking beat at the end of last of us to the, the end of the midpoint of last of us Two, right? It's mm-hmm. the empire is the empire strikes back. Uh, sure. And then you then starting in season three and everybody's like, Oh, I can't fucking wait to see what Ellie does in response. And it's just fucking <laughs> Abby. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I did see somebody emailed me that said they had never seen the last of us or last of us two, but they were so over the moon about the last of us one that just knowing that the game was out there to play, and they're not good at video games, so they just watched a, a, a reel on YouTube of the cutscenes in chronological order. And they said they fucking hated it. Um, but, like, knowing that there's a Last of Us 3, I feel like that's saying that you hated The Empire Strikes Back because of how brutal it was to the heroes that you loved. Well, like, yeah, if that was the end of the Star Wars saga, that's kind of a fucking bummer, right? Uh-huh. 
Totally. You know, Luke gets his hand cut off. The bad guy is his father the Han's whole time. Han's in captivity, yeah. Han gets, ca- yeah, the coolest <laughs> dude gets gets just hauled away as an ice cube. Like, this is some pretty bad, the whole rebel fleet run out of galaxy. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's a bad deal. So, like, it's hard, but it's hard to judge The Last of Us too. your reaction to that. I don't know. Like, I... Wait, but I also like I, man, I I was I'm blown away. I I, I wonder if the experience of just watching the cutscenes is so different that the spell doesn't work. You know, like I don't, and I, when you're yeah. just talking about the cutscenes, like because there's a lot of stuff in the kind of wandering around with like Lev mm-hmm. that Abby does mm-hmm. that, like so when we're saying just the cutscenes, are we missing some of that the character building that goes through tr- climbing the giant tower and all that shit? Yeah, I mean, it, it's what, maybe the equivalent of one episode of television. It's probably not much more than an hour or, or so yeah. of content. And yeah. yeah, there's so much in The Last of Us games where you just get interactions hanging out as you're like looting, right? The sure. the, the scenes. And then Joel or Dina will just be talking to you about yeah. things that they care about. And you start to bond with those characters through that. And stuff that in a TV show they would do in much more explicit, like, context scenes. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, without all that, you're probably not connecting nearly as much to the story, I imagine. It's like if someone told me they read the Reader's Digest version of a great novel. And, like, ah, I don't know. Uh-huh. It seemed kind mm-hmm. of, like, rushed. And, like, well, yeah. You know, the character's a little thinner and... They're a little bit like, well, yeah, you just read the condensed version, you know, because a mm-hmm. lot of like even I was thinking like, well, even if they took those snippets of like dialogue and put them in sequentially, like there's a pacing of it, too. Yeah. You know, the, the giraffe scene works as well as it does because of where it happens in the game in the series. You know, mm-hmm. if it just was like you just saw it in a random kind of a clip, even in the right chronological order. I, I feel like there's violence done to the story because of how compressed it would have been. So For I don't sure. know. I, I, I think that's the worst of all worlds. If you decide to watch The Last of Us 2 with that, I should have I should have done this in the, the non-spoiler section. <laughs> I, I think it would be a not great way to experience the game if you just watch the cutscenes of The Last of Us 2. Yeah. Like, if you're going to do that, just play the game. Yeah, play the game. Or if you suck at video games, just wait until the series comes out because you are just getting the crayon drawing version of what The Last of Us is supposed to be. Uh, I'm going to tell you that playing the game doesn't diminish your experience watching the show because I love the show. So 100%. There's enough changes and twists that I felt like I got something new. And also, they're extremely faithful to the source material. Um, They they did both of those. (laughs) Anybody who has an opportunity to take me up on that advice is listening to the wrong part of the podcast and yes they yeah, have already spoiled themselves so shame on me you everybody all of us yeah uh, we just uh you know we uh we failed uh we get we're like Druckmann. we got into our, our our thesis statement and uh you know we got a crackpot nazi doctor trying to make it so <laughs> we just we just uh how can anyone connect to this type of material uh, mm-hmm. we'll see if we can we can see if we can redeem ourselves in the video game playthrough um, again this is all old hat to everybody who is working their way through this or the very naughty people who are reading ahead of where they should be but you're still all welcome Sunday at 9pm twitch.tv slash bald move you know this you know this by now uh, check us out at 9pm Eastern to do a playthrough of uh, episode 2 and the rest of the episodes of this season each Sunday night uh, and if you miss the live, if you can't do the, the, the live thing, because I get it, it's school night. It's late on a school night. 
uh, baldmove.com slash, I'm sorry, twitch. God damn it, youtube.com slash baldmove is where we archive all those playthroughs. So you can enjoy them in your leisure. You even got the chat, so you can even get the copied on the screen, so you can get that like real time experience. It's really fun. Uh, that's it. That's it. Again, uh, hope this isn't the last stop for Bald Move and your listening experience. Um, you can check out everything we do at baldmove.com. Follow us at twitter.com slash baldmove. And uh, uh, we're doing Yellow Jackets, Picard, Mandalorian. We got uh, uh, Severance. We got uh, Foundation Season 2. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm leaving something else out. Um, there's a ton of other things I'm excited about. Uh, but mm -hmm. we're doing stuff all the time in TV and movies. We're going to do John Wick this week. John Wick Chapter 4, if you want to get in on that. Uh, follow everything at baldmove.com, twitter.com slash baldmove. Thank you, thank you for listening to our complete coverage. Look forward to seeing you again next weekend, or I'm sorry, next season, and hopefully this weekend. Uh, but until the next time, whenever we see you, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. Later. <laughs>